This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Sometimes there's going to be generational stretching. Okay? That means the younger ones are going to say, that's really lame. And the older ones are going to say, hey, you guys are getting too way out of here for me. You know what that's called? It's called generational tension. But you know what I read in the Word of God? As one man sharpens another man, that's when we really see the growth. That's what we ought to be doing. In today's teaching with Pastor David Landry, we'll consider the number of ways God calls us to praise Him and the diversity we experience as generation to generation. Musical expressions, well, they change. The responsibility falls on both generations, both old and new, to minister to one another through each expression of praise. The book of Psalms gives us all the information we need to learn how to bless the Lord and edify one another through our lives and our various forms of worship. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Psalms, chapter 150, verse 1, with part one of his message entitled, Songs of the Season. I don't know if you noticed or not, we sang from his birth, his life, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and literally his ascension and being crowned in glory. What a cool deal that is, and what a neat opportunity that is as we come upon this Christmas season. Yes, man, what a great celebration of knowing that our Christ was born, but it is even more so the fact that he lived, he died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again on the third day as a validation by God the Father that the payment was complete, he ascended into glory, he sits at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding on our behalf. Guys, it doesn't get any better than that. That is the glory, that is the wonder of the gospel. We come here on a regular basis, Saturday nights, Sundays, Wednesday nights, different meetings, and many times we sing songs. I love singing. I love our worship time. But my question to you is, how often do you really think about the songs that we sing here at Calvary? How many times is it really processed through your brain other than saying, oh, I don't like that song, or oh, that song is like too high, or that song's too loud, or that song's whatever. I mean really processing the words and the meanings of the music. Let's face it. There's going to be times in every one of We sang a song tonight, first time I had ever heard it. And I said, hey, that's great. I love it. There's going to come times where songs are unfamiliar to you. There's going to be times when you're going to think, I really don't like that song. There's going to be times that you're going to think, why am I singing na-na-na-na in church? Uh, you know, all of these things come about. But really and truly, when we start thinking about it, sometimes we as a church, we sing fast, we sing loud, we sing bold songs. But some songs are meant to be that way. And I believe they're meant to be that way to wake us up. 
that we might really praise and be in that celebration kind of mode. We, among all people, ought to be able to celebrate. Celebrate the reality of the risen, reigning Christ, the the glory that is His, the, the blessings that are ours in Christ. And yeah, sometimes it ought to be loud. It ought to wake us up. As a matter of fact, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 150, you can turn there with me if you don't believe me. Let me encourage you, if you got your Bible, turn there. We love having the Bibles with us. Psalm 150. The psalmist writes this. He says, praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with the lute and the harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Whoa, can you dance? Is that okay? Praise Him with the tambourine and the dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. And just so you don't get confused, he says, I mean praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know what? I think that there are times when you and I come into worship that we ought to be loud. We ought to literally raise the roof off this place. And I understand for some, that's not what you're used to. I understand that. Because there's other times that we come in and the songs that we sing, they're more solemn. They're more worshipful. They're a meditative type of worship. Again, as we come to just lift our worship and our praise to our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords. Still in Psalms, back up a few to Psalm 145. In 145, the psalmist infers kind of a deeper style of worship. I don't know what verse it is because I didn't put it on there, but it's part of 145. He says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Did you get that? Did you get the fact that one generation shall again praise your works to another? You know what that means, don't you? That means the old folks need to praise his works to us young folks. Amen? Amen, yes. And the young folks need to praise his works to the older folks. You know, one of the other things I love about this church is the diversity of age, of ethnicity, backgrounds, all kinds of stuff. I love that within this body. Do you know that people notice that when they come and visit your church? My sister-in-law and brother-in-law were here a few weeks ago. They're at the North Campus, and they come from a church back in Missouri, a very, what's the word, homogenous church. And they ain't got no color there, okay? they're, They're just white, and that's all there is. And that was the thing that she noticed. She says, I love your church. I love the diversity of the church, that it's not just one little group of people. Neither is it one group of people ethnically, but neither is it one group of people generationally. It's our responsibility as seniors. I'm there now. I know. 
as seniors, our responsibility is to pass that down also to the next generation. And you know what? Their generation is responsible to pass it down and to sing the praises of the Lord to the next generation. And you know what happens when one generation misses that? We get a generation that's coming up like is what's coming up now, that do not know God, have absolutely no understanding of who Christ is or the message of the cross, the hope of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, or the reality that one day they're going to stand before a holy God. And they'll be judged, not on their works, but judged on the facts of what did you do with Jesus. And they don't know Jesus. It's a responsibility, one generation to another. One of the other things about the multiple generation thing is it means that sometimes there's going to be generational stretching. Okay? That means the younger ones are going to say, that's really lame. And the older ones are going to say, hey, you guys are getting too way out of here for me. You know what that's called? It's called generational tension. But you know what I read in the Word of God? As one man sharpens another man. That's when we really see the growth. That's what we ought to be doing. And to sharpen something, tension has, friction has to come. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, I might say, yeah, you know what? I really didn't like that song, but praise God, man. I looked at the words, and man, the words were powerful because it spoke the reality of Christ right there. I didn't really like the tune, but you know what? It was powerful, powerful song. Pay attention to what's written. In in the same psalm, the, the psalm continues on. He says, I will meditate. And this is where I get the more mellow idea, thought of this particular psalm. He says, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty. Well, we don't meditate when we're uh, really clapping and dancing and, and jumping up and down. That's more of the calm time. That's more of the mellow type of songs that we sing. And we sing those kinds of songs here. He goes on because I love this song. He says, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness. And I will sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. That's a time that we just, man, we just lift our hands, praise the Lord. If we know the words of the song, we can close our eyes and just sing unto the Lord, just blessing him, praising him for all his wondrous works. Other places in the Psalms, he says, we're to sing a new song. Just like tonight, we sang a new song. It wasn't planned. I love how God does those kinds of things. But we introduce new music every once in a while. Sometimes it really catches on. People really like it, and we bring it in on a regular play. Sometimes it just kind of falls flat, and we kind of put it aside, wait till later, see if it comes back again. And if it doesn't, oh, well, it's no big deal. Sometimes we do those new music, but at the same time we're doing new music, we can't forget the worth and the value of many of the old songs. And again, I didn't give him my notes. He sang old songs and new songs today. He sang songs that were really powerful and uplifting and had you singing na-na-na, and other ones that were quieter and more meditative type of songs. 
we need to experience again the experience of past generations and new generations together. One generation teaching another generation, both in the testimony of our lives as well as in the music we sing. That again, that can be a part of all that. Throughout the Psalms, we're introduced to worship with trumpets and tambourines, to play upon the ten-stringed instruments, clanging cymbals. Well, we've had a trumpet here in the past. We've had full sets of drums here in the past. We have electric guitars sometimes. We've got a, a djembe. We've got a bass player. We've got six-string guitars. We've got different things going on. As we sing, in some of the songs that we sing, the message of the words and the phrasing are really pretty deep. They really take you to a pause to consider. I was talking to Alan a couple of months ago, and I said, you know, one of the problems is we lose the context of what we're singing by just having one or two quick lines. We move from one or two quick lines to the next two quick lines to the next two quick lines. We really don't see it in the context. So he went through, and he's changing almost all of them to where there's the whole verse so that we can see it in the context that it was written in. As God, I believe, anointed these writers to write these songs that we sing. So again, the doctrine, the theology, we look at those things. I don't want you singing a song that's really bad in theology, okay? I don't want you singing a song and getting into your head something that the doctrine is askewed with what the Word of God says. What we want to do is pour into your life those things that are edifying, building up the body of Christ, even in the worship songs that we sing. Whether they're fast and loud, whether they're soft and gentle, that again, it edifies you by what you're singing. Sometimes we sing, yeah, even fun songs, maybe even with hand motions, uh, songs telling us to dance, song telling us to shout, songs that are joyful. And I believe, too, even in those, they are intended to energize, energize our, our worship life, our worship time together. Let's face it, some of you guys come in on a Wednesday afternoon. You've had a hard week already, and it's only Wednesday. You need to just be energized. You need to be woken up to be able to receive the Word of God. And that's why we do it. On Sunday morning, the same thing as we come together as the body of Christ. Hey, sometimes we'll do fun songs even there. Not taking light the reality of the gospel, but just realizing that within the gospel, we ought to be blessed. We ought to have fun with it. There ought to be joy in our hearts. I hate going into a church service. And the worship is, stand please, sit please, let's all bow our heads and let's get into the Word. Man, are you really ready to get into the Word for that? No, I don't think so. I like the mix that we have. I want us to, again, bring alive in us that joy unspeakable, full of glory. Now during this season, during this time of the year, we pull out songs that we never sing throughout the year, songs that speak of Jesus' birth. Now, in case you are of the school that says, I've done the research, I've read all the background, Jesus was not born on December 25th. I'm going to say, amen, you're exactly right. I don't believe he was either. But we celebrate as the church, not just Calvary Chapel, but as the church, the reality that God gave us the gift of Christ. And we celebrate that. 
And if you think it's wrong in celebrating, then you need to wipe out all of the Old Testament worship times that they had. Because those guys, man, they celebrated everything. They had all kinds of celebrations. And you know what? Their celebrations were loud. They were loud. And they got into their worship. Granted, many of us today would probably be really uncomfortable in Old Testament worship. Okay? We would be the stump on the log, you know, sitting over there. And we wouldn't enter in. Why? Because it just makes me real uncomfortable to raise my hands. It makes me real uncomfortable to clap my hands. It really freaks me out if someone were to spin around while we're, we won't even go there. <laughs> this time of year, let me get back on point. This time of year, we bring out songs speaking of the first advent of Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ, his first coming. And the impact that that makes on the world, on all of humanity. One of the songs that's really familiar to us is a song that was written back in the 1700s. And I love these songs that we can pull back from the 1700s because these songs have staying power. I understand, I totally admit the fact that many songs that we sing today in two or three years, we won't be singing them anymore because they just don't have the impact. But it is awesome when you think, wow, this song that's still very popular, very well sung within the body of Christ was written like two centuries ago or more because of the message, because of the depth of it. Well, it was back in 1744 that a fellow by the name of Charles Wesley, yes, that Charles Wesley, brother to John Wesley, that he produced a booklet of hymns. There were 18 different hymns within that booklet. That booklet was reproduced, reprinted 20 different times before Charles Wesley's death because of the popularity of those 18 hymns. Within those 18 hymns, though, Only one of them remains that we continue to sing today. And granted, it's not a real popular song. Some of you may know it, some of you may not. But through the ages, it has held on as one of those songs that are used during the Christmas season. The words are this. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Free from our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope for all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own and eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. We think about that song. I want you to consider some of the words, some of the phrases. It's not too difficult to understand why this song lasted for two centuries, a little over two centuries. It speaks to a people... And I believe people everywhere that are longing for release, longing for freedom. It speaks of that inner need of man to be set free from all kinds of fears and the sin that so easily entangles us. 
It speaks of the fulfillment of the promises that God made long ago and how God is fulfilling that. Throughout the Old Testament, from the opening chapters of Genesis and the fall of man, all through the Old Testament, through the Psalms and through the words of the prophets, all of them spoke of the coming of promise. All of the sacrifices that were made and all of their worship, it spoke of the coming promise that was to be for Israel. And though Israel really didn't understand it, God made it very clear all throughout the Old Testament that it was really for all people, that it was going to be the hope for all people. So all through the Old Testament, we see that. And the people were coming to the point of longing for, looking for their Redeemer, looking for their Deliverer, the blessed hope of that promised one, the anticipated one. Isaiah spoke about it in really a present tense, though it was going to be a a future event. In Isaiah chapter 9, if you want to turn there, we can. We're going to be going through several verses, so I'm going to throw them out there. And if you want to write them down, that's cool. If you want to look at them, that'd be good too. But in Isaiah chapter 9, very familiar chapter. And again, you have to understand, Isaiah is speaking this idea of a present tense event, but in reality, he is prophesying what's going to be a future event. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, we read these words. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Now the fact is that light had not shone on them yet. But it was a prophecy of what was going to happen. A little bit later down in that chapter, we read about, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, he hadn't come yet. He hadn't come yet. But it was the anticipation. It was the looking forward to that one. Mankind was already consumed in darkness. The darkness of the world that was around them, as well as their own personal darkness. Man was consumed by that. And do you know the problem, really, with walking in darkness? Somebody's going to say, well, you stumble. No, you've already stumbled if you're in darkness. The problem with walking in darkness is you get used to the darkness. You become accustomed to the darkness. George and Sharon were just joking around. George was saying how Sharon moves the furniture. And she says, well, yeah, but I don't move the bed. So at least you can get up and you can find it in the middle of the night. You know. So, but we know how that is. If you're walking around at your home, you get used to where everything is at. You, you know where it is. And when we walk, when mankind walks in darkness outside of the light of Christ, they get used to being in the darkness. They don't know any difference. And then what Isaiah says, the people that walked in darkness, upon them this light has shined. He's he's declared the light, the glory of who Christ is. Problem with light is, light reveals weaknesses. And it reveals imperfections. And that's why people who wander in darkness for a long time don't want to be in the light. They don't want the light shining on them. Why? Because their imperfections, their weaknesses, their sin is shown. That's why John tells us in John chapter 3, verse 19, says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, 
because their deeds were evil. He goes on in verse 20, he says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds might be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. You see, God desires for his creation to come and walk in the light, to no longer be in the darkness. That's why he sent Christ as the light of the world, that we might walk in that light. The promised one was going to come, and he was going to bring light to the people. And so even though they would desire to walk in a manner that's pleasing to God, some find that that whole avenue is blocked to be able to live that kind of life. On behalf of Pastor David Landry and the entire production team here at The Open Word, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This has been a special edition of The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. And again, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.